Good afternoon. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. It's the 40th anniversary of the infamous 1972 Watergate complex break-in when five two-bit criminals charged with a B&E at the National Democratic Party headquarters actually ended up leading to the demise of Richard Nixon's presidency. In recognition of that, and for all of those who remember some of the details of the incident, we'll be talking about that today. And we're going to move on to some more recent cases of note, including the sentencing of Whitey Bulger, Mole, Catherine Gregg, and the ongoing trials of Penn State assistant football coach Jerry Sandusky, and the never-ending trial of former Red Sox pitcher Roger Clemens. But we also do have some breaking news in the crime and punishment category, and that is that the State SJC has ruled that that the Boston City Council overstepped its bounds when they took away Chuck Turner's salary, his city council salary, before he was sentenced to a three-year federal term um, in, a, in a bribery case. So we'll, we'll start by talking about that and joined here in the studio by the Boston Herald's Dave Wedge, Boston Globe columnist Joanna Weiss, and R.B. Scott, journalist and author of Mitt Romney, an inside look at the man and his politics. This is fairly significant, isn't it, Dave? It, it is. It's a, it's a it's a big ruling that, that happened. And uh, I'll just give you the thumbnail sketch. Basically, it's a federal lawsuit that Chuck Turner brought um, after he was uh, kicked off the city council. He was claiming exactly what the SJC ruled, that the council did not have the authority to remove him from office until after he was sentenced. Um, Chuck wanted to stay on because obviously he wanted to collect those last paychecks to help get his affairs in order before he went to jail. Turns out Chuck was right. The SJC ruled today that uh, the council did in fact not have the authority to remove him from office. Before. If they waited until after. After he was sentenced. Yeah. If they waited till he was sentenced, they would have been fine. But yeah. uh, between the conviction and the sentencing, state law allows a, an elected official to remain on the job. So the end result here is that the, the city of Boston is going to be on the hook for back pay for Chuck Turner. Yeah, but it's not much. It's like $11,000. It could be damages though because could there's, be, there's yeah. a, you know, Ch- Chester Darling. We I mean, this, they may go back at this. Stephen Murphy, also Boston Council, said, look, we were just trying trying to maintain the dignity and composure of the Boston City Council at the time. He had already been convicted. He had, just hadn't been sentenced. Well, which he's right, but the law is the law. So right. I think what needs to happen is the law needs to change because once you're convicted yeah. of a federal felony, you should not be it allowed seems to serve. That's right. Yeah. No, the, the conviction sentencing does seem like a you know a, a a bit of a false distinction. On the other hand, I mean, on some level, I have to applaud him for doing yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, there's anger at politicians, and there's anger at misconduct, and then there's due process, and mm-hmm. due process sort of trumps everything. And I think a remi- it's good to get a reminder of that. Yeah. sometimes. I think so too. I think I think due process is an important thing to, uh, that we all need to keep in mind as we as we talk about honoring the law and and, and moving forward. You know, I, I still I know I always sound like an old softy, but I thought he was way over-sentenced. I mean, three oh, yeah. years for taking this thousand bucks. We were going to talk about Catherine Gregg. I didn't think she got enough. And that's the one area where I'm really – no, really. Well, I would have well, thrown them. No I would have life. Well, Chuck, Chuck Turner got the same sentence as Diane, Diane Wilkerson. Wilkerson. And she, she, was, she had repeated offenses over the years. And, you know, it was $20,000. He was punished dollars. for being dumb, for, for yeah. acting stupidly, for saying stupid things. Well, well, well so, what he did was corrupt. But he, he angered the judges with his actions uh, during the trial, you know, his, his soapboxing. That's, that really hurt Chuck Well, there's, all, there's always also this effort to make an example of politicians. Yeah, and I don't understand that. But that shouldn't example. be a judge's role, to be making yeah. examples of people. Well, I think the court didn't like Chuck playing the race card, too. I, I think that wasn't appreciated yeah. by Judge Wolf and the rest <laughs> of them. Sure. <laughs> well... 
You know, I I agree with all of you. I mean, it's also short money, but he may get a little bit of um, interest income on that. I can't believe he's going to. Well, there could be be some damages. I mean, I I interviewed Chester Darling a few minutes ago. Oh, did you? What did he say? Basically saying that, you know, the the council humiliated him and they kicked him when he was down. His family didn't deserve that. So he's setting up this sympathy thing where I think he's going to go take this ruling into Judge Wolf, into Judge Wolf's courtroom and say, you know, there was a lot of distress here caused to the family and try and get some damages. Well, what prison is he in? Can you remember? He's in West Virginia, I believe. Oh, it's a federal prison, I, yeah, I think, I in West Virginia. Yeah. All right. The, he was not available for comment. No. As long as we're bringing up a... <laughs> Phones didn't work. <laughs> continuing with our crime and punishment segment, Catherine Gregg, as I said a minute ago. I mean, you know, she harbored a fugitive for 16 years, a guy who had $800,000 stash in a hole in, a, you know, in, in, in his condo out in Santa Monica. She had the and, instructions and, gun, and guns and ammunition. Guns and am- and- <laughs> she had the instructions and had a plaster over, you know, this hole. Clearly, she knew there were guns in there as well. She she knew he had been charged with murdering nineteen people, whether she believes that or not. She says she doesn't believe it, but I thought that was a very lenient sentence. I really did. Well, and the defense, the idea that this sort of soap opera idea that her only crime was falling in love with a Bull. man. You As know, I pointed I, out, they were in separate bedrooms. Right, right. No, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, and, and, and she was probably legitimately concerned for her for her safety, too. I mean, there were there, there, that was a complex yeah. relationship. By the way, can I just say I love the word mole. It's just I know, a, it's a good it's one. It's just a great word I I lifted to that apply from to all of this. I, probably the Boston Herald, if I had to yeah, guess. Yeah, I'd probably right. get that. <laughs> that's, that's a Boston Herald like word. It's Jake. Yeah. Mole, that's right, definitely right, right. a... Yeah, I'm um, not sure the Globe uses the word no. mole. I, I thought it was uh, interesting, and again, I'm, I'm obviously very Herald-oriented here, but the, the Herald um, had a story this week, an interview with Colonel Tom Foley, the former state police uh, commander, and he talked about Catherine Gregg, and he was outraged. He he thinks she should have got the maximum yeah, sentence. I'm, I'm there. What he said was they went out and talked to her on, on, on occasions, and she was very nasty to them. She said, where's your warrant? Get the F out of here, and blah, blah, blah. So it was very uh, – she – he believes that she was an integral part of his flight and wasn't just along for the ride. I believe that. I yeah. believe that. It, 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 again, the, the, the sort of play for sympathy surprised <clears throat> me, you know, as a as a as a tactic, as a strategic tactic. Because if there's anyone that nobody in all of the you know of the country has sympathy for, it's it's Whitey Bulger. And you see her against you know the the relatives of the victims. You hear you know from from the courtroom that she really didn't look them in the eye. That there's yeah. no sense of accountability on her part at all. And you don't wind up with a guy like Whitey Bulger by accident. No, you know no, he. You he don't. You choose that sort of relationship. And, and you have opportunities to get out of it as well. And uh, even though it would have been dangerous for her to get out of it at the time that it, it came up, she still has uh, – you still have the, have the responsibility of being accountable for your particular actions, whether or not it puts you in jeopardy or not. And, and uh, she made the choice and I think that uh, the sentence is way too light. What did you think about the, the victim impact statements? I'm always kind of conflicted about this. I mean I believe in – the right of victims to speak, but th- these lacked a certain decorum. I mean, not that I didn't get kind of a kick out of it. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the one guy, O'Connor, I think is, was saying to her, Catherine Gregg's brother had committed suicide some many years ago, and he said, if I were your sister, I'd commit suicide too. I mean, it really has nothing to do with the case at hand. It's just yeah. a, a crude, crass, you know, um, brutal comment, and it, it upset her. Not that I care that it upset her. And then um, – uh, Stephen Davis calling her a dirty rhymes with which I mean I, I I don't know. Well, you know I've covered a lot of these sort of things over the years and dealt with a lot of really severe crimes and nasty stuff and there's a there is a venge a revenge factor in a lot of these yeah, cases. These that. people are angry. They're very mad. A lot of times they're not thinking rationally. A lot of times you're dealing with people that may not 
be uh, very well educated and, and you know, uh, a lot of times they operate in this sort of world where this sort of crime happens or, you know, they, they, they're street people, a lot of them. Well, there are also, and you know, there are different functions for sentencing. I mean, sentencing mm-hmm. serves several functions. And, you know, one of one of them is rehabilitation. I'm not sure that we're going to be, you know, rehabilitating Kathleen Gregg, Catherine Gregg mm-hmm. or that there's any, you know, that, that, that that's not the purpose. But there also is a, a restitution element of it and this feeling that she owes something to society and to sort of to have an accounting of what she owes for is is not necessarily wrong. It's a good thing. Very good thing. You know, this is their chance to really speak their piece. And I understand. I, I think the no, suicide comment was over the line myself. And even name calling. I, yeah. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, in, you, in you've a heard of Emily in court. I have. Where people I burn have. in hell. You hear that stuff all the time. And it's whenever someone says that, it, it makes for great headlines. But it's really painful. It's nasty stuff. Yeah, it, it is. is. I mean, I I would have said some things to her, you know, just by her callous disregard, and I would have gotten into all of that. I mean, <clears> because clearly. She she had a callous disregard for the the lives of those nineteen people and the families and all the people. Well, she affected. enabled them. I mean, she was getting his medicine. She was helping him with yeah. the money. She was traveling, you know, giving him a cover. God, I'd love to have a jailhouse interview with her. Ooh, Wouldn't we all? Let's arm wrestle. Let's arm <laughs> wrestle for it. I know. All right. She's got quite a story to tell. And you know, I can't wait to hear Whitey's trial. Of course, we're never going to hear him. But um, the ongoing trials. I I have to say, I really wonder why former uh, assistant football coach Penn State. Uh, foot, Football coach Jerry Sandusky's actually on trial at this point. I mean, who is he kidding? Why is he putting all of these victims through this? Why is he putting himself through this? Why is he putting his wife through this? Who believes in his innocence? Especially that, that guy who testified yesterday said that Jerry Sandusky raped this kid since the time he was twelve or thirteen years old up until he was just just a few years ago. I mean, it was revolting and disgusting. Why would anyone? want to go through that in an open court i i have no idea i mean I, you you read that and you say what's he thinking of does he think of anybody but himself uh, is he into, into is he delusional uh a lot of pedophiles they are and, and then you think about the, the, the guy that walked in on the coach that walked in on oh. him with a with a the boy in the shower uh, yeah has that what was, kid what was wrong there is is he not culpable for not stopping that crime yeah. right is it, it was well, happening. well that's what was that, that was with the fallout for um the coach what's blanking paterno paterno he didn't see it though he just he no heard but about he knew it. about it he, but he knew about it well and he did i mean you know at the at the time that all came out he went and reported it to joe paterno and the problem was you know yes he he probably should have called first i think he called the his ne- dad the next, and right, his and dad the said call right i mean and and which which speaks to it speaks to the power of that of that football program, which Ugh. is, I think, kind of hard to imagine here, where we don't have you know college football on that level. But but that those were incredibly powerful and apparently perceptibly untouchable people who were running that football but, but, program. No one wanted to get. I mean, the other amazing testimony this week was the guy, the, 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 the allegedly yep. one of the guys from school, one of the administrators, had a running list of accusations against Jerry Sandusky. This was not something that they had never heard of. Before. Why didn't he just take a no contest? And don't understand it. Well, the, the parallels between the Penn State football program and the Catholic course, Church yeah. is striking, yeah. and and, it, and it's very similar. But uh, to your point, at least in the Catholic Church scandal, a lot of those priests did cop pleas, and they they ended their case to spare the victims the pain of a trial. And uh, Jerry Sandusky should have done that, but you know he didn't. And now we're, we're dealing, you know, we're watching this. In my opinion, one of the most disgusting uh, trials that's ever, ever happened in America. I agree it's, with that. The, the testimony I've read is disgusting. Revolting. It is. It is. I mean, and and why would anybody want? I mean, 
no matter what, any kind of crime you've committed. I mean, I'd, I'd rush to, com- to you know, confess so people wouldn't read and, about it, you know? It must what, be something so dis- about the mindset where he yeah. really doesn't believe that he's done anything I, wrong, that it was some sort of consensual love. I mean, no, you know, he, he, separate from logic, sickness. I think on some level he doesn't believe that he's done something wrong. What, what's so disgusting about the trial isn't just the, the details, the graphic nature of, of the acts. It's the actions of those around mm-hmm. him, right. like McCreary, who Joanna just said— the next day, reports it to Joe Paterno. Never called the police. Never called nine one one. This kid was, didn't, by didn't all accounts, stop, between stop, nine and ten years didn't old. Didn't stop the act. Didn't which stop it. Didn't say anything. Which you're obliged to as a citizen by law. He didn't say something to him. He didn't say, "Hey, no. what the hell?" No, I think no, he just watched he, it. He, he, from he watched what I gather. it and reported it. He and then left. Didn't do anything to intervene. Called his father, and then he. And the next day, he went That's to Paterno. That's because it was Jerry Paterno said, "I'll deal with it," and that was the end. And you get to know that Joe Paterno had heard it many times. Oh yes, had to. Awful. All right, the other a, a good a good coach though. I mean, and a good. Man. Oh come on! <laughs> Don't even go there. No, this is a blot care. on his record. Thank goodness. It is a I huge mean, huge blot on his record. But I don't care what kind of a coach he was. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was like a patron saint down Stop. there. I actually, I, well, no, listen, I, I'm not. I think the guy's pig better yeah. off where he is now. But I, I did go to Penn State. I went to did Boston you? College and I went to did a you know? Penn State game. No, I went to BC. Mm. But oh, you went, went to, to a game. Oh, you went to a and game I, years okay. ago. But li- no, but listen, I was struck by. The worship of Joe Pa down there. People literally have like cardboard cutouts of them. They put them on their cars, and he was like, "Well, he stood for some good things in terms of the program, and, and you know, he he stressed academics. I mean, before any anyone knew about this, he was he was kind of a model football coach in a lot yeah. of ways. He was. He had very high graduation rates and, and uh, treated sure. players well. And he's convinced that this was consensual. Not that it counts when it's a minor, but I'm sure he's convinced that you know these guys, these kids, were all very needy and very in that special mile program, whatever it was he had there. That they all needed him, and he was their father figure, and he's going to make it all right. It's terrible. So the other trial I can't get over that is still going on is the Roger Clemens trial. Well, I did look it up today, wondering what in the world is taking so long. So they the uh, deliberations are on hiatus for two days until Monday because the judge has a speaking engagement in New Orleans. I don't know why they, the <laughs> jury couldn't just keep deliberating. I mean, what is what's the difference? I guess they have to. Do you have a question? Yeah, I guess so. But wow. And this it, does seem like it's going on and on and on and, and on. And the jury instructions, I read those today. They were very boilerplate, very banal. There wasn't anything in there that sort of tipped a hand or led them somewhere. So it just went on and on and on with the usual stuff. So it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to be well, the, you know, that I mean, complex. The last one was a mistrial. So I think the longer it goes on, the better it is for Roger Clemens. And I think – But the other one never went to trial. The other one was dismissed instantly because of some evidence that was introduced that was – Right, but I think even in this one, there's a lot of gray areas. Like I think it was Andy Pettit kind of hedged on his testimony, and he was a key part of the reason they charged him to begin mm-hmm. with. Mm. And I think you know there's been some testimony that some of the stuff that um, that, that McNamee claimed went on. Roger Clemens has had alibis that he wasn't there, like he wasn't at Jose Canseco's house that day or something like that. When supposedly they were talking yeah. about doing the steroids, so I think there's a lot of gray area there, and the, the more confusing and gray it gets. Uh, for the jury, the better it is for Roger Clemens. I think that's right, and I think that eventually he's going to be, uh, if not acquitted, it certainly will be a mistrial and you know, move you on. You think so? I think so. Yeah, I think the, every, I think everybody wants this behind them in in the worst way. And uh, reading reading the testimony of the people who were there, they just haven't got enough to uh, mm. got enough to go on. Some of the, there's some timing issues in, involved. There's a lot of holes, and yeah. a lot of a lot of reasonable doubt, which is what this case is about. 
Yeah, and shouldn't yeah. be it shouldn't be a federal case in the first place. How do you yep. prove that a guy did or didn't do steroids twenty five? And it's all about lying. Ago. It really yeah. has nothing to do with what he did. Right. I'm talking to Dave Wedge from the Boston Herald, R. B. Scott, journalist and author of Mitt Romney: An Inside Look at the Man <clears throat> and His Politics, and Joanna Weiss from the Boston Globe. And now we are going to segment into a segment that R. B. Scott and I are probably going to have to continue with dialogue by ourselves because <laughs> one of the people in the room was born in 1972, the other in 1970. So Watergate doesn't really ring the big bell. I had are just graduated. Are you saying graduated. I'm, I'm old? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I'm saying um, you and I are about I think she just did, didn't she? Yeah. Okay, you look great for being born in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, that was, it was just uh, you know, a huge, huge year because I remember it very well. I was, I was just getting out of college myself. And it was just an incredible story that whole – that summer through the next year when Richard Nixon resigned in August of 1973. And I was, I was going back through because I was writing a piece for Beat the Press tonight and some of the great lines that came out of that, you know, Howard Baker, um, what did the president know and when did he know it? Uh, you know, John Dean saying there's a president – there's cancer growing on the presidency. Um, and then, of course, follow the money, the deep throat right. and all that, all that stuff. But I was trying to think – has there been an American political scandal that really measured up? You had Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, John Edward. I mean, has anything really reached that level? Nothing. I mean, it brought down the presidency. We haven't had a situation that Clinton. We came close. Almost, with, we impeached him in Congress, uh, but we didn't have, it, have something that brought <laughs> the presidency down. And and nor did we have anything that put us on the on the verge of. In some people's estimation, uh, some kind of a political a, a, a coup d'état essentially take over the government and, and uh, attacks against journalists and, and yeah. on and on and on. It was really a uh, – when you look back on it in particular, it really was a, a very frightening time in retrospect. It didn't seem that way at no, the time. It, it, it was it just seemed unbelievable, almost surreal to, to watch this thing It happened unfold. fairly rapidly when you think about it because the break-in was June of 72 and the president was gone – you know, 14 months later. Well, well look at even the language of it. I mean, everything, everything, every gate. scandal that comes since is a gate, you know? Yeah. And, and it, yes, it, it affected politics. It also affected journalism. I mean, yes, oh, I was born that summer. I wasn't hanging on every word. But as someone who later, you know, thought about journalism as a yep. field to go into, it changed the relationship between the press and public officials. Absolutely. It changed the perception of what journalists were there to do in a very positive way, I think. Well, and the thing is with Watergate was that was a good old-fashioned corruption scandal, whereas all the scandals we've had that have touched sex. the highest, they've all been sex-related. And, you know, the Bill Clinton scandal was, you know, kind of foolish, you know, looking back now. But um, – and, you know, I mentioned I joked off the air about all the president's men. You know, that's really how that's I learned okay. about Watergate. It's a good Watergate. movie. It's all right. It's a good movie. And, and to be honest, it inspired me. And it's one of the reasons I decided to become a reporter, you know, that along with I Fletch. I think it inspired a lot of people. <laughs> Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. Um, actually, Woodward <clears throat> lived in my – I have a twin sister, Martha, and he lived in the building, same building as her, while that's, she, he was writing that story. So she didn't really know him except for they were borrowing sugar and coffee and all that stuff. sneaking in and out at night? She said he had kept a lot of late hours. hours. <laughs> the cloak and dagger in that movie is really cool. It I think. is. The, the problem cool. with being Bob Woodard is every morning you wake up now, you look yourself in the mirror and you think you see Robert Redford. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I don't know if he minds that really. I mean, he probably doesn't mind that at all. So I didn't realize this until the Washington Post uh, printed this big retrospective where – where Woodward and Bernstein actually said the story was even bigger than we knew about it at the time, as the tapes will show. And not all of the tapes have been released, but they hadn't written something together in 36 years. I was kind of unaware of that. I thought when um, Deep Throat was outed, maybe they had written something together then, because, as you recall, Vanity Fair 
was the one Mark Felt outed himself in, in Vanity Fair. But I thought they had written something together because they had promised together that they were going to conceal his identity until he died. And actually, Mark Felt uh, revealed himself right before he died. But uh, I didn't realize it. He hadn't written anything. I always thought it was interesting that they, they would they – would conceal his identity until he died. So then he dies and then everyone would say, okay. He was second him. in command at the FBI, by the way. Yeah. And that's right. how he knew so much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there, there were problems between Woodward and, Bernst- Woodward and Bernstein when they were working together. Oh, yeah. And so the fact that they didn't work together afterward, I think there was some serious... Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, they were low-level police reporters, right? I mean, they were not the, they were Ber- not the Bernstein, star. Bernstein was. Bernstein Woodward was the-, was, the, was the steady guy who was brought in to make sure you uh. keep this wild man... Uh, in control. Bernstein was the first guy to come up with the this looks fishy uh, angle on, on the break-in of the Democrat, Democratic headquarters. But but he was working in a suburban bureau. You, you work for the Globe. You know how I how do. that works. And, um, Worked uh, in my share of them was, over my life. <laughs> Woodard was brought in to, to – you're the senior, yeah. seasoned, steady guy – He's the crazy young uh, reporter. Keep him in check. I do love that you know that, that again that it stemmed from that really you know that that basic level of reporting. Little, so you know, know papers have these teams and they're great. I mean, the investigative teams do amazing work. But sometimes the best stories you can get on the ground level when you're right there, just sort of for, for the putting putting the pe- the pieces of the puzzle together. Breaking I mean, it's, news. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it was really what it was was breaking news. They just investigated it all the way. But I, I, I was I was traveling when all this began to unfold on television. They're having the Watergate hearings, and I remember mm. remember flying from Jam airport Irving. to airport, and there would be the hearings up on the monitor, and there would be crowds yep. gathered around the monitor watching this. Yeah, uh, like people were in shock and disbelief the, that this uh, could happen. That's where I saw John Dean. Yes, better than uh, the um, Anita Hill, uh, Judge Thomas. Oh, huge, Again, hugely sex. better than that. Yeah, that was sex. I admit, you're right. I remember watching it with my parents. You know, just just hovering around. This this can't be America. I think a lot of people were saying this can't be happening in in our presidency, which is not the kind of thing. And you'd go across, you'd go overseas to France and where I was in England and so forth, and people would say, "What's the big deal? Uh, Why why are people in America getting so upset?" People in France would say, "This this happens. This kind of thing happens here all the time." They were accustomed to that level of corruption. Yeah, and and the answer is being uh, a reporter. Nixon, we think, is 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 a good guy because he is good in foreign policy, which he was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why are you doing this to your president? And and the answer is because. I would say grandly because we're America and we we do these things. We, well, it goes back to due process. What we were talking about at the top of the hour and the importance to the American spirit and 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 you know to to the American identity of the process of government and that fairness in government. It's so and, and ironic too, and that he wanted to chronicle his presidency on those tapes. He was the first person to record everything that went on in the Oval Office, and in the end. Yes, it Rosemary Woods. Because the... Rosemary, the, the infamous eight min, missing eighteen minutes when John Dean was it John Dean that that what, which which passage was it that was missing? Was uh, it with I, that I guy what Butterfield? The, what, 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 the, what the passage was, but there were lots of gaps in the tapes. I remember there was one spectacular photograph of her that ran in Life magazine of her trying to explain how she was able to this tiny to take dictation and accidentally erase. hit the erase button. And it, and she <laughs> I remember was it too. Sprawled across the desk and <laughs> yeah, no way, no way could she reach Pro- that. Probably the only the only one the only scandal that's really come close to it would probably be the Iran Contra. Yeah, uh, but even that it didn't it, end. No up. No one can remember no, what that was about. Really, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was that about? Exactly. Well, 
wasn't about sex. That's the only one that wasn't about sex. All right, talking to Dave Wedge, Joanna Weiss, and R.B. Scott. When we continue, we'll respond to some of your emails, tweets, and Facebook messages as we do every Friday. And we'll continue our roundup of this week's top news headlines. Politics next. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. This program is made possible thanks to you and Goddard House in Brookline, featuring their new Bed, Breakfast, and Beyond program, a two-, three-, or four-week stay without a long-term commitment. You can be safe and secure in assisted living and enjoy the comforts of a country inn. GoddardHouse.org. And Neighborhood Kitchens. Join host Margarita Martinez as she visits various Boston restaurants on the exploration of culture through food. Don't miss Neighborhood Kitchens, Sunday night at 6.30 on WGBH2. And the growing number of WGBH sustainers who manage their contributions to public radio with the help of monthly installments and automatic renewals. Learn more about the ease of sustaining membership at WGBH.org. The Supreme Court's upcoming decision on the new health care law has many filled with anticipation. Trepidation, I think, would be the right word. From insurance companies to local governments, their bottom lines are at stake. It would mean tens of millions of dollars to our system, you know, immediately and, and over time, you know, hundreds of millions. Preparing for the court's decision later on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon at 4 here on 89.7 WGBH. If you have a vehicle that no longer works for you, put it to work for WGBH and turn that car, truck, trailer, boat, or motorcycle you don't really need into something you really want. This is NPR. Donate your unwanted vehicle to WGBH. We'll take care of the paperwork, schedule the pickup, and you'll earn a tax deduction, all while supporting the programs you depend on. Welcome once again to a Celtic sojourn. Call 855-426-2406. I'm Callie Crossley. On the next Callie Crossley Show, we hit the rewind button on the week's local news. Today at 1 on WGBH Boston Public Radio. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. It's time to rummage through our email bag as we do every Friday at this time. But right before I get to that, I just want to say that that missing 18 minutes that we were talking about, the famous uh, Rosemary Woods, 18 minutes, the conversation was between President Nixon and his chief of staff, H.R. Haldeman. And I guess it was that was the, the, the damning you know 18 minutes that talked about the cover-up. Anyway. Getting to our email bag, yesterday we devoted the entire hour to summer books and plenty of listeners sent us their recommendations for a read at the beach. You can check those out on our Facebook page, but I'll read an email from B that many of you can commiserate with. I just can't call them summer reading because by the time I get to the top of the holds list at my local library, it's October. I can endorse several of the titles mentioned, but I consume them all during the colder months. And by the way, you can find that entire list at wgbh.org slash Emily. On Monday's Politics as Usual segment with Avi Nelson and Scott Lang, we talked about the approval by Taunton voters of a proposed casino in a referendum last weekend. A listener, Tom, emailed to say he was offended by my suggestion 
that casino jobs won't be good jobs. It's amazing how you, with an attractive, probably well-paying job, can suggest that casino jobs are somehow not attractive when no other jobs are available. The unemployed folks in Taunton would beg to differ with you. I didn't say they weren't attractive. I just said they're not going to be good. All right. And Chris from New Hampshire wrote in to say that he just enjoys hearing Avi Nelson on our show. He says, Avi shakes things up a bit and doesn't give us the usual predictable and oftentimes politically correct stuff you get from lots of Boston pundits and columnists. He and fellow guest Wendy Kaminer are my favorites, sometimes provocative, always thoughtful. Finally, Paige says she loved my interview with Aerosmith bassist Tom Hamilton, but she wishes... We focused more on him and less on singer Steven Tyler. I just feel it is unfair to focus on Tyler, even though I know that is the draw. It's the whole band together that works, not the individual members. I feel a little bad for Tom being in the background. Don't distress, Paige. I've done three interviews with Tom Hamilton now, all of which are available on our website. So there's plenty more of Tom on Tom if you want to hear it. Speaking of wants, we want more of your tweets, comments, and emails. Send them to emily at wgbh.org or visit us at our homepage at wgbh.org. Emily Rooney, back to the week that was. I'm joined here in the studio by journalist R.B. Scott, Joanna Weiss from the Boston Globe, and Dave Wedge from the Boston Herald. All right, another little... Yeah, brouhaha this week involving Gail Huff, the wife of Senator Scott Brown. She has appeared in, I think, three television ads so far, including one that broke today that was about Father's Day. Here's the interesting thing. When Gail Huff was a reporter for WCVB Channel 5, she didn't cover any politics. She really had to kind of step out of the limelight completely. And as you know, Maria Shriver, when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected to the presidency, I mean, to the uh, governorship of California, she, you know, took a hiatus from reporting altogether. And Michelle Norris at NPR did the same when her husband works uh, for the Obama administration and also for his reelection. But this time, you know, JLA, we talked to JLA, she works for WJLA in Washington, D.C. They said, oh, we didn't really see a problem with it. Really? I do. I think it's a total conflict of interest. I well, think it's 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 a different market, I guess, is their argument that, you know, that, that the people in Washington, D.C. and that area who are watching her as a reporter are not going to see the Massachusetts ads, but they can find them easily on the Internet. I mean, it, it is it you know, there are there are a lot of journalists in the world who are married to politicians. There's a, a, the Cleveland Plain Dealer columnist, Connie um, Stevens, I think, is married to a U.S. senator. I mean, it's a it's Andrea a, Mitchell and Alan and, Greenspan. It's a it's a tough position. And I think a lot of people handle it by sort of, you know, covering things on a case-by-case basis or, or, or cordoning off certain subject areas. Uh, you know, the thick of a re-election campaign, that's a tricky one. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see Joanna's point where they're, you know, she works in D.C. She's not here working in Massachusetts. If she was in Massachusetts, I think she should, I think equal time would probably require There's that no she more equal the, time. Uh, We're done right. with that years ago. Right. No more equal time. Right. She did, did ads, which I think steps over the line yeah. even if you're working in a different market if you're if you're, you're a journalist, a journalist you don't you don't do ads I, exactly. I when I was a young reporter brand new reporter still writing obituaries uh, they gave me permission to run the McCarthy campaign in Utah and really? but there was a great debate even though I was only I was writing obituaries as to whether I should do this or not and they thought it would be a good experience <clears throat> for me so and McCarthy wasn't going to go anywhere anyway <laughs> so they, they didn't really care very much no see I don't think that's right either it, it wasn't I mean in retrospect they should have said Take your pick, or that's take, the bigger. Take a leave that's of the bigger issue, and I know a lot of journalists have stepped over the line, especially in radio. Now they go from reading the news to reading an advertisement. 
But it just seems to me a political ad in particular just goes way beyond. The Can we talk about the ads themselves? Yeah. Which are, oh I mean, my again, you know, these are toe these, curling. Uh, well, to, to some degree, they are. You know, they're not. They're biographical. Do we ads, have any one of those, ads, Edgar? But, do we have an ad? Do we have a little clip of one? No. Okay. Yeah, but they're they're image ads, and they're supposed to relate to women, and they're supposed to sort of send the message that Scott Brown is God's gift to women. And there is a lot of well, Cosmo told us that years ago. Right, <laughs> right. There's a lot. I mean, there, there's some long like Al and Tipper kind of kiss. That's. I mean, it, oh, I know. There's a lot of lovey-dovey well, they're, stuff. They're really, really, really in love. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you see them out there together, and they're always holding hands. They're very, they're very close sweet, couple. They really are. They're a sweet couple. But I, I agree. I think you know. Being that she is a working journalist, I don't think it was a great idea for her to do the ads. Maybe take some B-roll from her at events and put that in there. But for yeah. her to actually, she's the voice. She's the main the voice. Ads, yeah, that's, of that's all a of little, them. It's a little. Uh, Ayla is raises some questions. Big in the Father's Day ad, and I don't really have any. And problem that's fine. With that. The kids, yeah. they're not journalists. But we, we do have in journalism. We do have a double standard. We're, we're perfectly willing to let people who've been presidential spokespersons <laughs> come back and work in, as journalists. That's different. Uh, even even ones who have had the no revolving door. Have, it is. I think I think there isn't there isn't a difference. I as think, long as one door closes, as the other opens, you're clean as far as I'm concerned. But mm-hmm. you can't do both at the same time. You, right. you can't do both at the same time. But I, I wonder too if 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 you're a journalist and you go into business as a PR person and, and you want to come back, chances of that happening are pretty slim and none. But there is this people well, have journalism jobs anyway. Diane Sawyer worked yeah, who, for President Nixon, that? came back to journalism. She was a journalist and president. And I think I don't maybe have that a little out of order, but she. She's done both. Yeah. Pretty sure Eric Fernstrom's not coming back to write for the Herald. Why would he? Yeah. <laughs> He's heading – well, he could be headed for the White House, right? Yeah, he could. absolutely. Maybe. Yeah. All right. What else do we have this week? Oh, the, uh, interesting. We mentioned the presidential election. You, you thought we were going to get through the entire That's show right. without talking about it. Yeah. And, there I and go. you did it. Go ahead and talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, Eric Fernstrom. What more can we say about it? The presidential election. It's they they got, were both in Ohio yesterday. It's How many more months to go? It's like, oh, my goodness. Well, they're, they're talking about the economy, which is, you know, and, and they're talking substance, which is, you know, in contrast to, you know, some of the Globe coverage today about the, the Senate race where we are talking about what a good dad Scott Brown is and whether Elizabeth Warren is a Native American has really been sort of the sum total of the rhetoric in the in the Senate race. You know, it is it is kind of nice that this is going to be an issue election for president. It is going to hang on the economy and economic viewpoints. And I, I think Actually, here we have a little bit of the two of them talking about that yesterday. So finally, we're sort of like mano a mano on the economy. Here we go. He's been president for three and a half years. And talk is cheap. Action speaks very loud. I want to make it once again, America, once again, the most attractive place in the world for job creators. If you want to give the policies of the last decade another try, then you should vote for Mr. Romney. I don't know if that works. To, to, to be blaming the politics of the last decade. That never works. It yeah. always comes back to bite you. He's been in office three years. You've got to be looking forward. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know that uh, painting Mitt Romney as, as a Bush yeah. type of candidate is going to be a good strategy for him. I think, I think the Obama campaign was making more uh, inroads as far as damage goes with painting him as a, this corporate raider. I think, I think that was working a little better if – you know, where's the correlation between Mitt Romney and George Bush? You know, they, they, he's never worked for George Bush and vice versa. Well, I think what he wants to do is is be able to say, you remember all the, you know, these economic problems? Remember when they started? I didn't start it. Those guys started it. And he's one but of those guys. That's the problem to say those guys. He, right. Where does, where's the relationship between Mitt Romney and George Bush? There isn't one. I, I, Except I think, that they're both Republicans and yeah. rich guys. That's it. All right, moving on. <laughs> they to both our... went to Ivy League schools, yeah. but I think David Delisandro had it right when he said that if the if the economy goes south, gets soft, 
if the economy doesn't improve, that breaks well for Mitt Romney. And I, I think agree. he's absolutely right. Agrees with yeah. the, you know, and you nobody's a, watching these gas prices more than Obama. And they're but ch- nobody seems to care about that. It, that's not true. I, I, I think, think they care does. more about jobs, when, the unemployment. You know what? When, when the, the job gas prices are not in Obama's when the gas prices right go up over three fifty, that's when the job. That's the unemployment numbers start to go up. It, it's it, there's a direct correlation hmm. there. And I think I think to the regular Americans, that's an important part of their budget is is the gas prices. And I think it's a huge thing in this election. I, that's just my opinion. I, I've I don't know. I can't put my finger on what it is exactly, but I've sensed a certain desperation on the Obama side of things Absolutely, in the last couple yeah. of weeks where they seem to be throwing a lot of stuff against the wall, hoping some of it sticks. Well, and I, you know, I'm not sure that the private equity Mitt Romney thing that they've been working on is going to stick either because, the, you know, that's been vetted. That was vetted through the primary. That was vetted years ago with Ted Kennedy. I mean, everyone, mm-hmm. again, knows that about Mitt Romney at, at this point. Uh, you know, you can start getting into sort of specific bills and regulation mm-hmm. and what would he do. But, you know, Mitt as as corporate raider, it's Everyone, I think, knows at this point it's a more complex picture than that. And this is why Mitt Romney ultimately won the nomination, why a lot of Republicans think he is the right candidate because he has been vetted so thoroughly. Um, you know, Ted Kennedy vetted him. Gee, more, more so than probably around. any candidate we've ever had. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, the other race. The one thing we can say about both of the, both of the candidates, though, given the fact it's Father's Day this weekend, is they're both really good fathers. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. That's true. It's a nice thing. That appears to be the case, as is Scott Brown. So we don't know about Elizabeth Warren, whether she's a good mother. We, don't, we haven't really been introduced to her children too much. So I have to say that – and I know the Herald's been hammering this, but that aside, if I were Scott Brown, I wouldn't want to debate at the Kennedy Institute either. And I realize that the Kennedy Institute is actually – you know, it's a Senate. It's Senate-based and it's this fantastic – you know, this is what this whole new thing is. It's all about the Senate, not just about Ted Kennedy. But – you know the the fact that it was Ted Kennedy's seat before the fact that Vicky Kennedy has uh, for the debate offered the invitation. I have no and, problem with and, and Tom, Tom Brokaw. Brokaw is no, no. re- really tied to tied to with the Kennedy, Kennedy you know, family but, too. But so he, I, he, he, he 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 could be totally Ted's funeral. But he could be independent on this. I don't have a problem with Tom Brokaw. But but the the venue does matter. It's like. You know, Elizabeth Warren didn't want to go on Dan Ray, and I had some sound that we used last week because Dan Ray has openly endorsed Scott Brown on his radio show. Not that he can't you, be. If you were Scott in, Brown, wouldn't you be worried about having Tom Brokaw anchoring the, no. the debate? No, I, I agree I, with I, Emily. I think Tom Brokaw is is a he's, I mean, he's a pro's pro. I mean, yeah, he, he, he would he would absolutely run a, a fair debate. But um, you'd, you'd feel, I, I would feel like I'm on I'm on I'm on a I'm a I'm, a, I'm the away team. But this is Scott Brown's image, right? One of the other things we know about him, besides his his uh, manly fatherhood qualities, is that he is he wants to be the bipartisan. <laughs> yeah, guy. He, so he p- pull up his pickup truck and stand in the back. Well, and, but he wants to be the guy. To he, you know, he's promoting himself. Now you can get into the details of whether this is really true or not, but he's promoting himself as the guy who can work across the aisle. So wouldn't it, you know? See how bipartisan I am. See how different I am from those Republicans that you're vilifying. I will come to the Kennedy Institute. Well, I, I I think that's unfair to expect him to have to do that. He's the sitting senator. Why should he have to be the one making the concessions? And it is a concession. Make no mistake about it. It's 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 not it's not a neutral site. And I'm not saying. Well, neither that, is it, BZ Radio. If you ask me, I mean, yeah. BZ Radio is neutral, but Dan Ray has openly endorsed Scott Brown. That puts. Mm-hmm. Him in an awkward situation it's to a, say that he can be a little bit of a difference though between doing a debate on BZ Radio and at the Kennedy Institute. I mean, yeah, that'll, no, be, we know. that'll be covered nationally on MSNBC. It's that'll be that'll be the biggest debate of the election cycle. So, I think Scott Brown needs to make a very careful decision. I, you know, if I were his advisor, I'd say do it, and I'd prep him like no one's ever been prepped before. And if he had a shining performance there, 
game set match. Yeah. It's over. They should do as many as possible. It's, uh, the newspapers are constantly calling for these televised debates without really realizing what kind of negotiations go on behind the scenes. Well, it's it's a really huge cost. And just to put on one of these things right. is tens of thousands of dollars. Right. It's not like you can just do it. If we did it right here in our beautiful WGBH studios, it would be a, you know a fraction of the cost. Bring them in. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, doing something on location like at the Kennedy Institute, I mean, it's a huge ordeal. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you know, and the one that WBZ is going to be doing is going to be fairly simple. It's just John Keller. I love John Keller. I think he's the you know. He's I think terrific. he does fun he, debates. He I is, really enjoy. He's his debates. fantastic. I will ju- just one more thing on the Kennedy Institute thing. It's it's not so much that it's a bag job or anything like that. It's the symbolism. No, I, there is a but, lot of symbolism not in, in really, this race. You know, is he really the away team? He's the senator. I don't know. I, I'm right, not, I'm not sure Kennedy so Institute. much an away team thing as, as you're saying. He's the yeah. senator. All right. One more political issue in the news this week. Um, I thought we were ta- done talking politics. Uh, one more. Um, <laughs> the uh, Republican candidate for the 6th Congressional District is – I don't even know if that's still the 6th. I'm losing count now. With, 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 we're is. down to – okay, it is. All right. <laughs> Richard Desai is calling on John Tierney, who's the incumbent in that district, and his wife to forfeit any money they received from her brother's involvement in a criminal gambling enterprise. Well – we don't even really know exactly how much it was. The the, the brother himself, Daniel Aremian, this is Patrice um, Tierney's brother, was ordered to forfeit seven point seven million dollars in assets this week. She spent thirty days in de- jail, but I don't. I think she faced some kind of a fine, but I don't know. I mean, he, she was paid as a bookkeeper, so I'm not really sure what kind of asset she got. But it, as I've said and said in the past, it always stretched credulity. Did I say I, Richard say if I said it wrong? Um, that that. Um, John Tierney didn't know, you know, how deeply involved she was with her right. and her well, brother's offshore gambling enterprise. I, I agree with you on that, and we've talked about it ad nauseum that that it's it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, that, with that kind of money going through their family bank account, that he didn't know about it. That said, she was convicted, she was sentenced, she served her time, apparently paid her penalty. So to ask for more penalties on top of that uh, is a little. I think that stretches a little bit of credulity. Like, how do you? How do you document that? Yeah, it would have already say that needs some grandstanding, or he's going to be well, a candle think, in the wind. I think it's a huge issue in that election, and if Richard Tsai is going to steal that seat, that's how because it is a scandal, and the congressman somehow escaped that without being charged and without a real nasty stain on his uh well, if he had had a resume. More, if he had had a more credible opponent last time around, I think he would have been in real trouble when this, uh, you know, well, the yeah. other issue was really playing out. And they've, re- they've uh, realigned the district mm-hmm. as well, so mm-hmm. they're right. more conservative communities in, in the district at this point. So to say has a, a much better chance of getting mm. winning the election this time. Yeah. He's not much – he needs he needs more affect. He needs to have more of a personality. He needs to be more forceful. That's why when I saw this today, I thought at least that's a bold move whether it's – Well, the, part, the, the national party is finally getting behind him. They named him one of those young guns that they, they have this young gun program where they funnel national money to these certain yeah, I think candidates. You're going to see they think they can, they can pick up a seat. I think you will that, because – That's I, probably true. You know, the, the, the Senate's fighting. Allowed. We'll get pack money somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Where are the ads? He, he, he's, he's, he's friendly with the Romney campaign as well, so there, yeah. there's going to be money. Help and he's, he's an interesting Republican in that he's gay. Gay. They're, yeah. they're, like having Republican. Ground. Yeah. Talking to Joanna Weiss, Dave Wedge, R.B. Scott. We're going to take a break up next. Back to the headlines and bylines as we finish off the hour with our ever-popular thumbs up, thumbs down on some of the people, places, and issues in the news this week. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH. Boston Public Radio. This program is on WGBH thanks to you. 
and Harvard Vanguard Medical Associates, offering complete health care for you and your family. With 21 locations across greater Boston, Harvard Vanguard welcomes new patients and accepts most insurance. CareMadeEasy.org, an affiliate of Atrius Health. And Bank of America. We know WGBH is important to our customers. Bob Gallery, Massachusetts President, Bank of America. Our commitment to Boston is as strong now as it's ever been, and our commitment to WGBH is as strong now as it's ever been, and I think that matters to our clients and to our associates, and we look forward to working with WGBH for many years to come. To learn more, visit WGBH.org sponsorship. I'm Callie Crossley. On the next Callie Crossley Show, it's our weekend review. We look at the local news that went under the radar. We top off the hour with Ragtime, a roundup of the week's pop culture. That's today at 1 on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Support WGBH right now and you'll automatically be entered to win a trip to England. Make an online gift and you and a guest could be going to visit High Clear Castle, referred to on Masterpiece simply as Downton Abbey. Prize includes round-trip airfare from Lufthansa, four-night stay at the Vineyard at Stockcross, and a private tour of High Clear Castle led by the lady of the house, Fiona, Countess of Carnarvon. For a chance to win, visit WGBH.org. Grandpa, he threw the first ball out at Fenway Park. The very first, first ball out. Ever. Ever. <laughs> 100 years of legend and history of Fenway Park. Fridays on WGBH's Morning Edition. Welcome back. You're listening to the Emily Rooney Show. It is time for ever popular thumbs up, thumbs down segment on the people, places, and issues in the news this week. I'm joined here in the studio by R.B. Scott, Dave Wedge, and Joanna Weiss. All right. One of the issues, stories that got a lot of attention this week, and, you know, there was a little bit of um, mockery at the same time, but I don't know. If you really read deep into the story, it wasn't that ridiculous. The town of Middleborough voting to have a town swear job. Swear jar. <laughs> swear job. Swear jar. $20 fine for swearing in public. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Dave Wedge on a $20 fine for swearing. Thumb, thumbs down. That's ridiculous. What? What is this? Where, where? <laughs> it's a nanny state. Get with the program. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, you're going to find kids. That's part of life. You swear. You go on the tee, you expect to hear people Look swearing. at that sign over there in the studio. Cell phone off. Well, that's Stay near different. The mic, no swearing. There's FCC rules. There aren't FCC uh, rules is... in general public. No, you know public. what? I think the co- you know what? The cops in Middleborough have better things to do, like like get all the heroin out of that town. That's I, I think I, I think the, the cops in Middleborough are, are well aware of the First Amendment. I'm going to I'm gonna go and give them the benefit of the doubt and say this was a gonzo publicity move that's just going to get people cool. talking about it. And so I say thumbs up for getting people just talking about I agree. kids swearing. Thumbs up. I agree. Well, you just you a, stole my thunder because that's, that's where I'm coming from. I, I get tired of hearing really foul language, when, particularly when children are around. And, and if, so if it's, if it's an effort to, to get people to pay attention to how, they, how do they talk in public, I'm, I'm a thumbs up. The jar thing, it's, they've got better things to focus on than that. All right. So we'll, we're split on that one. All right. Speaking of foul language, thumbs up, thumbs down on Charlie Sheehan making a comeback on television. Thumb, thumbs down. Who cares? It's over. <laughs> It's over, buddy. 
Oh. I don't even know what the show is. Does anybody in there give it a, know? Give it a yawn. Come on. Yeah, oh. I, you know, I don't know what the show is. I, I mean, I say thumbs up just because if he finds a way to continue to be entertaining and if it, you know, if he's sort of vaguely Was he sober, entertaining ever? I mean, I, you know, I was not a, I didn't like Two and a Half Men. I never found it funny. I just found it kind of mean. Uh, but, you know, it's a marketplace. On Anger TV. Management is the name of the new show. Oh, right. Oh, my God. Right. It's kind of well, funny. you know, he's, he's, he gets <laughs> the irony of his situation. And I, I kind of appreciate that about him. Yeah. Thumbs up. Let's give it a go. All right. Thumbs up, thumbs down. We'll do these. This this will be a two-parter on Daredevil stunts. Reckless Daredevil, like, can take your life kind of stunts. I think that's a big thumbs down. Really bad idea. Are we talking about one stunt Yeah, all right. Let's move on. We're talking about the Niagara Falls, the, uh, the, the Walenda crossing. Uh, is that happening today? Thumbs tonight? up. That's awesome. That's what really? humanity is about is challenging. <laughs> that's what humanity is about. Yeah, it's like a challenge. Like evil can evil, jump in canyons. Yeah, like, but he didn't have like any safety nets. That's one of my nets. favorite memories of being a young boy. I love that no, stuff. No, I remember all that. But <laughs> but um, I can't remember which network is carrying it. I think ABC or NBC. ABC is the guy carrying it. roping across and Niagara there, Falls. And the, the, the cabin for carrying it was that he had to have a safety net so he's, he's tethered. Thumbs down to that. Well, thumbs down point? to that, yeah. Of watching I mean, if he's not going right. to fall off the thing. If you and... can't really die, it's not a stunt. Exactly. <laughs> I, I guess I'll go thumbs up for the human spirit though. You have convinced me. This <laughs> is you. what life is about. Thank you. All right. Bring well, back the gladiators. Thumbs down say. unless it's a real daredevil <laughs> stunt. All right. Absolutely. I'm with you on I, that. I would cover it evil, evil on, on that <laughs> snake canyon ju- ju- uh, jump as a matter of fact. All right. We got some really silly ones here. Thumbs up, <laughs> thumbs down on a- Ashton Kutcher starring as Steve Jobs in a new biopic. Really? That's a I'd... big. That's a big yawn. That's fine. It's thumbs up. It's no. Like, yeah, I'm Steve trying to Jobs? think who you would get. Have somebody smart. Yeah, Ashton Kutcher. I mean, I, you know, although he's a pretty savvy businessman, TV mm-hmm. industry wise, he's savvier he... than he looks. Um, you know, so all right, thumbs up. Yeah, I'd say thumbs up. I, I actually think he's he's actually a pretty sharp guy, and he's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I don't know if you can pull off Steve Jobs, though. Uh, Jobs is better looking, I think. (laughs) Thumbs up, thumbs down. Joanna, did you watch the Dallas premiere of the new – Did I have a whole packet of of, of future Dallas shows, so I've seen more than one. Um, I've got to say that if there's any reason to watch, it is for Larry Hagman's eyebrows. They're like a new species at this point. They are just – they're enormous and they move and they're just – they're great. Is he still any good? He's great. He's great. The show, you know, it's kind of an interesting reboot. It's sort of like old oil versus alternative energy. You weren't even the born when the old show. I was. I watched Dallas. <laughs> Who shot Jr. was a big deal in my oh, elementary yeah. school. I didn't watch it. But I, I like thumbs down. One. I didn't watch it, but thumbs up on bringing Larry Hagman back to TV. Absolutely. The guy's the guy's a legend. All right, a couple of political things. Thumbs up, thumbs down on parklets in Boston. These are going to take away valuable parking places. Parklets, little greenery feel spaces. This one here. Thumbs down. <sighs> We need more parking, not more <laughs> open space, Mr. Mayor. We don't need more bikes. We need we more don't. parking we need spaces. More parking. No, 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 no. I say thumbs up. We need people sitting <sighs> outdoor cafes. We need a culture of people then being outside. Then get a outside chair and put it on the sidewalk. In the amount of weather, yeah, in South Get a milk crate right? and sit on the sidewalk. No, you, I mean, the, you know, in, in, in the tiny amount of good weather we have, we need to be a city that encourages people to be out, seeing each other, meeting people and enjoying it. Parklets are good. See, this is the Herald Globe dynamic going on here, I think. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go thumbs to the side. It's, it, it neither <laughs> and be a neutral party here. No one's going to be able to see those people sitting outside and enjoying it because they can't get their car into the city to park it anywhere. <laughs> Take the tea. Thumbs up, thumbs down on capturing that Cape Cod wandering black bear versus just letting him go. Thumbs see, down. He, he swam over here. Exactly. Let him go wherever exactly. he wants. I agree. That bear is totally. awesome. 
Did we, you follow we have the, the tweeting bear, bear, by the yes, way? Yes, of course. You followed him on Twitter? Yes. That was one of the best stories of the yeah, past couple Yeah, we should have let him go. A lot of fun. And we, and we, we, have, we, have, we have bear him. all over the place. Yeah, yeah, we just, don't, we just don't know it. I'm, I'm, I think, I think what, it, what was the fear there that, that he was going to bring more bears to the cave? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Come on over, guys. Jump somebody or swim someplace else and drown. Thumbs up that they actually found him, though. That's pretty tough. All right, thumbs up, thumbs down. This is very self-serving. If you all know what a sunbeam tiger is. A sunbeam tiger. I don't. I have no idea. Thumbs down. I don't know. Oh, good. Hint here. It was one of the original James Bond's car. Oh, oh, oh. oh, No, the sunbeam was a a car before your time, obviously. MG? But back back when I was young and strong. All right. I'm going to announce it right here. I am driving a 1966 sunbeam tiger with a V8 engine. It's about the size of... You know, six feet long. I'm driving it up to upstate New York. It's my father's original car. He bought it in 1966. I mean, he might have bought it in 65. That's anyway, um, I wow. need all of your – I just had it restored. I'm going to have my really? hand in my mouth the entire time. <laughs> anyway, it's going to be quite the adventure. So I say thumbs that. up on you having it. Thumbs up. I need to be tweet- – should I be tweeting along the way? you, you got to get yeah. video of you going down the highway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be quite have you, have you driven the car yet? Oh, yeah. I drove it 60 miles. Is it outside? I want to yeah. see it. It's, it's in the garage across the street. It's, yeah. a, it's a terrific car. Absolutely terrific. <laughs> well, it's, it's in the garage. It's going to be gone in a second. Yeah. I'm taking it with me. <laughs> All right. My thanks here to R.V. Scott, Joanna Weiss, Dave Wedge. That was a lot of fun. We will be back Monday at noon with politics as usual. Plus, we'll get the skinny on whether it's better to buy or lease a car. My father would have said, buy your car. (laughs) Forty years later, we've still got it. All right, stay with us now for the Cali Crossy Show. Coming up next is the answer to our troubled prison system to privatize it. Hmm. And tonight on my television show, Beat the Press, more on the 40th um, anniversary of uh, Watergate. And that's tonight at 7. The Emily Rooney Show is a production of WGBH Radio on the web at WGBH.org, Boston Public Radio. I'm Emily Rooney. Have a great afternoon.